build relationships and let people know what you're looking for. If people don't know what you're looking for, how are they going to find you? How are they going to bring you a deal? And lastly too, I'd say do the math, know your market and trust your intuition. I think math and intuition goes a long way in this game. Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference. And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% for every ticket that you're responsible for selling should you join as an affiliate for the conference. Great way to earn money. And also, if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com. And in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate. You can click that, join the affiliate program, and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the Best Ever Conference in Keystone, Colorado. And we will be talking more about this on future episodes. But for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate, and we will see you in Keystone, Colorado. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Gabriel Hamill. How you doing, Gabriel? Hey, I'm doing great. Great to be here with you and your best ever listeners. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to it and grateful that you're on the show. A little bit about Gabriel. He's a real estate investor. He has experience with seller financing and other creative purchasing structures. Currently owns 140 units and has another 60 under contract based in Duck Country, Eugene, Oregon. And so with that being said, Gabriel, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yes. I started buying real estate in 2005. Shortly before that, I picked up Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Before that, I didn't have a lot of direction on what I wanted to do with my life. Read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I got deployed to Iraq shortly after that, but constantly thought about the lessons I learned in Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Came back, started buying property in 2005 when banks were giving loans to just about anybody. A couple of years into that, now it's 2008. I own a couple houses and banks are not giving loans out to people that don't have jobs or money. So that's when I really turned my focus into getting creative with seller financing deals. You got 140 units. 140 units. Yep. Wow. What is the largest property that you have within the 140? The largest property as far as the unit count, I have a 43 unit mobile home park. Okay. So a 43-unit mobile home park. So of the remaining 97, what's it's a that? Bi- it's a big mix. I started off with single family and then smaller multifamily, a lot of duplexes, triplexes, four-unit, six-unit stuff. I have a couple apartments that are 20-unit, 15-unit, but I still hold quite a bit of smaller multifamily as well. Which one's your favorite? You know, I am really liking the mobile home park. Really? I really am. Yeah, it had a lot of value-add opportunity. The 60 unit that you mentioned that I had in contract, I actually pulled out of that deal. Unlike the one I purchased, the more I dug into it and more I dug into the numbers, the better it got. The 60 unit I had in contract, the more I dug into it, the worse it looked. So I had to trust my instinct and trust the numbers and and pull out of that one. We'll talk about that 60 unit in a bit. 43 unit mobile home park. You said that's your favorite. You really like it. There's a lot of value that you added. Will you elaborate? Yeah, it was something I was looking for and I took it on similar to some of the multifamily stuff. So I like to buy a property that has that value add 
opportunity. So I'm looking at properties that are poorly managed, under-rented, deferred maintenance. And this park, it was running okay. The previous owners were great people and they ran the park okay, but there was some value add opportunity with the rents hadn't been increased in four and a half years. The utilities weren't being billed back to the tenants. So that was costing close to 15000 a year just there. And then some of the mobile homes themselves, a lot of the maintenance costs were on the park-owned properties. So right now I'm in the process of selling the park-owned units back to the tenants on contract. And that way they'll be responsible for some of that ongoing maintenance and they'll have that pride of ownership in the home. Is that the name of the game with mobile home parks to not own the mobile homes? I've seen it done both ways, but I want to own the land and not the mobile homes. And you mentioned the reason why maintenance costs, and then there's more pride of ownership. What would someone who has the opposite philosophy say for why he or she wants to own the mobile homes? I've seen the higher end parks where the homes are newer and in great shape. So they're able to rent them out at a lot higher of amount and there's not a lot of that maintenance cost. So the park that I purchased, they're older units. So almost all the maintenance over the last several years have been when I was digging into the numbers were on the park owned homes. So I think the newer parks and the newer homes, there's going to be less maintenance and they're going to be able to charge a premium for renting it and they're owning the unit as well. How much did you buy the 43-unit mobile home park for? I paid a little over 1.3. Was that your money, you and partners, or what? This one I didn't have a partner on. I used some private money and put about 20% down and did an interest-only loan, and I will be able to refi out of that, I think, in the next 18 months. I'll be able to add a lot of value and refi out and recoup probably most of the money that I put into it. So private money with 20% down. So is that you borrowed the 1.3 from someone and you paid 20%? No, I put down about 240000 Okay. And, and then, I, I had private money to finance the rest of the deal. Okay. Private money meaning just investors? Hard, yeah, hard money. Hard money. Okay. So hard money lender. Got it. So you got a, a hard money loan on it and then you put out of your pocket the 20% down and the goal is to get the heck out of that loan as quickly as possible and to refinance out. Exactly. And it cash flows with that hard money. Wow. Um, but I think with making some of these changes, it should appraise out based on comps and cap rates. I think it'll appraise out close to that 2 million mark. And so I'll be able to get something long-term fixed financing on the part. And your 200K-ish back? Yep, correct. That would be nice. That's called infinite returns. That's what I'm, that's what I'm always, always looking for is infinite returns. Yeah. How'd you find the 43 unit? This one was actually a commercial broker had been sending me a lot of multifamily stuff up in Portland. And a lot of it was really nice kind of A and B class stuff. And I just said, hey, if you see any value add multifamily or mobile home park, let me know. And they had someone in their office with this park. So I had the opportunity to look at it. And I actually drove down there and the owners of the park were there. So I was able to spend some time with them and really get to know them and the park a lot better, which made a big difference. And there was actually an offer that came in higher than mine, but I think building that relationship with those sellers really made a big difference. And I've done a lot of seller financing deals where it's been really relationship-based and I'm working directly with 
the seller. And on listed properties, it's rare to be able to build that relationship directly with the seller. And in this case, they happened to be there when I showed up at the park. It worked out really well. It's just a coincidence. Absolutely. Hmm. Have you since tried to manufacture that coincidence moving forward since it worked out so well? Showing up to a park with a seller. Yeah. A seller there. Yeah. Not exactly. I've looked at several other parks. The six unit park that I backed out of the previous owner, she didn't own it anymore, but was actually acting as the property manager. So I was able to look at that property and get a lot of information from this property manager whose parents had owned it and her grandparents had actually built the park. So that was interesting as well. So you had the 43 unit. It sounds like that's a fairly recent purchase. Yeah, I closed on that in June of this year. Okay. All right. All right. So recent-ish purchase. You got the 43 unit, but then you also said you have 43 unit mobile home park. And then you also said you have a 15 unit, a 20 unit apartment building. Do you self-manage all this stuff? I don't manage any of my rentals. So right when I hit the 17 unit mark, I was managing myself. I had young kids at home. So at 17 units, one night I was fixing a toilet or attempting to fix a toilet. And I had already considered and factored in property management. And I'm kind of handy, but not that handy. So I ended up spending my time. And then I had to call a plumber anyway. It's late at night. So I'm spending my time and money. And then that was really the time I turned everything over to property management. And once I did that, I had a lot more of my time to put deals together. And that was one of the best decisions I ever made. I know a lot of people self manage and some don't. And I'm definitely one that sees the value in not managing my own properties. I don't love it. I'm not great at it. I'm better at putting deals together. And I don't like being that guy that has to take a security deposit or kick a tenant out for non-payment. The 15 unit and the 20 units, how are those performing? The 15 unit was a value add. It was an old building. I partnered on that one. It was commercial ground floor with two commercial spaces and 13 apartments. And that was quite a bit different than too many other projects I had done. My partner on it had a crew of guys that did a lot of the work. I put the deal together. He'd been working on it prior and kind of handed it over to me to negotiate the purchase. And that was a big value add. So all the apartments had to get gutted and restructured because of some egress things that were going on. And right, full- what, was go- what was going on with the egress? So, so it was a single room occupancy originally. So before we bought it, the city came in. Every code violation you can imagine was going <laughs> before on. Before you bought it. Before I bought it. Thank yeah. goodness. Yep, yep. So we were trying to purchase this prior to that when people were still living in it. Then a small fire happened also previous to us owning it. And that's when the fire marshal came in and saw all these violations, kicked <laughs> all the tenants out. So we're still trying to negotiate. So now here's a building that these sellers are trying to sell and there's nobody all the commercial is vacant, the residential is vacant. And we went to the city and just said, hey, we want to do this. We want to make this work. We had some ideas and some plans and they were great to work with. We just sat down and said, hey, what can we do? What can't we do? So this particular building, instead of it keeping it a single room occupancy, we essentially put a hallway down on the side that we couldn't put windows into, made that a long hallway and made a bunch of just kind of neat and oddly shaped one, two bedroom in there, but one bedroom units. And it was a great play. Our focus was the residential. The residential would fully support our financing. So that's where the majority of our time went. And as soon as that was done, we focused on the commercial and, and got some great tenants on the, on the ground floor there. 
what type of businesses did you get? We have a bicycle shop that had been in another location previous that wanted to be in this part of town. And then we had a restaurant come in on the larger side of the ground floor and they've done really well. A local mom and pop restaurant or a chain? Yep. Local restaurant and local bike shop. Okay, cool. What kind of area is this in? I live in Eugene, Oregon, and this was in downtown Springfield. So growing up, it was, hey, why would you go to Springfield? There wasn't a lot going on downtown. Mm -hmm. And this building was kind of the eyesore. It was kind of the bigger, you see the building on your way into town when you cross the river and on your way out when you cross the river because it takes up that whole block. So it was an attractive building, but it needed a lot of work. But also it was in the path of progress. A lot of restaurants and stores from Eugene and local folks were coming into Springfield and opening up restaurants and stores and different things. And so part of it was timing. And now downtown Springfield is a very neat place and people actually want to go down there and hang out and grab a meal. And so it's neat to see. What'd you buy it for? How much you put into it? And what's it worth now? Oh gosh, this was a little while ago. I'm going to... When, when was it? When did yeah, you buy it? Yeah, yeah. So we bought this about three years ago. Oh, this that's like, not too long no, ago. No, not too long ago. Not too long ago. We had close to a year of, of renovation, like all said and done. So we bought this. To the now. best of your memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To the best of your memory. We were in the 400 range and we put another close to that into it. The renovations were close to what we paid for it. Okay. And what's it worth now? It would appraise out probably close to 2 million, maybe more. There you go. You plan on doing a refi on that? Yeah, we actually did. So we financed it. My partner and I had some 1031 money. So we exchanged a little bit into that. We used hard money for the purchase and most of the renovation. And then we actually did refinance out of it and did a 25-year amortization commercial style loan. I've noticed on the two projects we've talked about in detail, you've used hard money. What are the terms that you're getting? I typically borrow in the low 8% interest only and a couple points. And are you making payments on the interest only throughout or at the very end? Or It really depends on the deal. So on the mobile home park, yeah, right away. And on this other project, we actually deferred some of the payments during that construction time. So we actually kept an account aside that would cover that so that we had some money to focus just on the renovation. And hard money is not something I used starting off for quite a while. I didn't use any hard money for the first 10 plus years of investing. Is that your own money and that was it? I was doing a lot of seller financing deals. So I started with almost no money. So my first three deals were two no money down and a 5% down deal. I didn't have a lot of money, but banks were giving loans then. And then in 2008 and 9, 10, 11, 12, I did a lot of low and no money down seller financing deals. And that's where I really built up the majority of my portfolio. So okay. these well, other two deals are a little bit different than what my focus up until then had been. Mm-hmm. And I forgot how I introduced you with the first thing. I mentioned that you have experience with seller financing and other creative version structures. So let's talk about that in a moment. But on a related note, these last couple that we've talked about, they weren't seller financing or creative structures. Although I guess you could argue getting a hard money lender and doing what you did is quasi creative. Do you see yourself doing more of the structure that we've talked about in the future? Or do you see yourself reverting back to the seller financing? 
I do both. So I try to take a real holistic approach to any deal. And I look at the deal individually and see what makes the most sense for that property. How am I going to get the biggest return on my money? How much money am I bringing into the deal? So it just really depends on the property, what financing would best fit. Okay. So let's talk about a deal that you've done with seller financing and why you chose that versus hard money and your own money with a down payment. My very first seller financing deal was a deal I found on Craigslist and they were offering seller financing. I had been looking for seller financing. And the reason I did that without bank loan or hard money is because I did not have the funds or a job to get conventional financing. Were you in the military? I was, yeah. Okay. So I guess this is post-military? It is. I was deployed to Iraq in 2003 and four. I came back, bought my first house in 2005, another one in 2006 and another one in 2007. And that was all with bank financing, mm -hmm. but a bank would approve anyone then. So I still bought smart, even though it was a hot market and not great loans. And I still have those houses today and they've done well, but I realized quickly a couple hundred dollars a month of cash flow per house would take a lot of single family houses to build up enough cash flow to live on. So my first seller financing deal was two duplexes side by side, four units. And I put 12 and a half thousand down. And I got a lot of that back with deposits and prorated rents at closing. So it ended up being less than that. And the thing cash flowed. So like all the things I'd said before, poorly managed, under rented, deferred maintenance, and it had all those things. And the sellers were great people that were just tired of managing property. And so they were happy to seller finance the deal. And it was terms that were favorable to them and favorable to me. It was a true win-win scenario. Out of all your deals, which deal have you lost the most amount of money on? I have never lost money on a deal. Props to you. Which one's been the least profitable? The least profitable, I partnered on another single room occupancy property about an hour south of me. I partnered with the same person I partnered on this other apartment with, and I partnered with the lender. And long-term, it's going to be fine. It's a property that had a bad reputation, and we ended up having to do a lot more work up front and it's taken a while to really change the image of this building and long-term it'll be fine if we keep it if we sell it i think we would make some money and do okay there but it has not been as profitable as we anticipated and the expenses with the earlier renovation than we anticipated has cost it not to perform as well what aspects of the expenses creeped up on you we had early vacancy by the time we closed on it some tenants had moved out we had a commercial tenant that wasn't paying and all the rents were low being that it was single room occupancy, but it also was really hard to get because it had a bad reputation previously for drugs and transient traffic coming through there to just really change the image of the property. So interior painting, every time a tenant moved out, exterior painting we've done recently, um, and just some upgrades that we plan to do, but not as quickly as we did. Based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? My best real estate investing advice ever, I'd say network, build relationships and let people know what you're looking for. If people don't know what you're looking for, how are they going to find you? How are they going to bring you a deal? And lastly too, I'd say do the math, know your market and trust your intuition. I think math and intuition goes a long way in this game. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I'm ready. All right, let's do it. First, quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program. 
and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com. What if you could earn 10000 per month net cash flow for life? Now you can at the Residential Assisted Living Academy. Gene Corino teaches you how to take a single family house and turn it into a cash flow machine. Visit ralacademy.com to learn more. Best ever book you've recently read? I have two of them. The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks and Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction that we haven't talked about? A mistake on a transaction we haven't talked about? Not digging deeper into my due diligence. Will you elaborate? I think when you get a performa from, say, a broker and those numbers don't always add up. Now I've been okay with, now I've had enough experience to really dig into those, but I think a lot of properties look great on paper. And once you really spend some time and dig into those numbers, they don't always add up to what you're really being sold by the broker. Best ever way you like to give back to the community. I like going to lunch and meeting up with people who are excited about building financial freedom through real estate or already started on their journey. I really enjoy just that natural coaching and mentorship. And how can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? The best way to get a hold of me would be either through Instagram or on my website at hamilinvestments.com. Thank you so much for being on the show. Well, we talked about in detail the 43-unit mobile home park, the value that you added, the business plan. We didn't even talk about the 60-unit. Shoot, real quick, I want to learn more about the 60-unit. What were some specific things that made you want to pull out of the deal? On the 60 unit, the biggest reason I pulled out of the deal, and it's going back to that performa, they built a beautiful performa based on their highest month rent and their lowest expenses. And the more I dug into the numbers and the more documentation I got from the seller and the property manager, things just really didn't add up. There was just too many questions in the numbers. Their rent amounts didn't add up. The expenses didn't add up. There's just so many red flags and I tried hard to make it work and it's not something I was going to force. It wasn't a good purchase. And they weren't flexible on the purchase price or terms? By this point, no, they weren't. Well, thank you for sharing the reason why you pulled out of a deal as well as the deals that have gone well. And we touched on a little bit of seller financing, but really focus was on the larger deals. Thank you for going to Iraq, serving our country and keeping us all safe and really appreciate you sharing some time with us. So hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, you too. Thank you much. I appreciate it. What if you could earn 10,000 per month net cash flow for life? Now you can at the Residential Assisted Living Academy. Gene Corino teaches you how to take a single family house and turn it into a cash flow machine. Visit ralacademy.com to learn more. Best ever listeners, go to bec20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com.